This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. In your brain, there's a noisy part that sabotages you and takes up so much of your time and joy. There's often a loud inner critic behind this. You can often feel alone, disconnected, and unworthy when you listen to this negative self-talk. Your energy is drained, you stop living fully, and you are unable to be the best version of yourself. You're wasting your time, and it's completely unnecessary. In quieting this part of your brain, you gain access to your inner wisdom, which knows you are whole, valuable, and connected. You are this essence. Neither your thoughts, ego, nor circumstances define you. Your consciousness is the blue sky through which they are experienced. Beautiful, vast, and huge. Getting in touch with this allows you to access an infinite source of guidance, love, resourcefulness, creativity, and perspective anywhere, at any time, and almost instantly. In order to do that, you need to quiet your mind and switch to the part of your brain that serves you best. Valeria interviews Georgina Hollaby. She is a professional certified coach with over 25 years of senior roles within business and marketing and a lifetime of experience in meditation and self-discovery. It has always been essential for her to balance two fundamental needs, outer success and inner peace. Today, Georgina helps highly motivated, self-aware professionals to achieve peak performance and well-being, not one at the expense of the other. Using a unique blend of whole brain coaching that incorporates neuroscience, positive intelligence, NLP, and visualization techniques, Georgina's work resolves and aligns conflicting internal tensions that hinder personal and professional growth, creating the space to focus talent and energy where it most counts. Meet Georgina at... GeorginaHollaby.com. Here's the interview with Georgina Hollaby. In your own words, who is Georgina Hollaby? On the being level, I'm the stream of consciousness who is here sharing this space with you all. <laughs> and the doing level. Um, I'm a performance and well-being coach, and I'm based in the UK, and I work with clients all the way around the world. Also on the doing front, I'm a mum of two daughters, two teenage daughters. I'm the wife of somebody for 30 years. I'm the mischievous friend and the person who loves reading and traveling. Yeah, I'm all of these and more. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. This um, unifying everything, right, Georgina, in a way, in a sense, not losing contact with that being. I love the way you said that. So at the level of being, at the level of doing. So is it possible to actually close that gap 
enough where doing it's coming from being? I guess that's the question. Uh, yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Although the goal is in the space of doing, right? Um, and the funny thing about reuniting that space between doing and being is by not doing so much. It's actually let, letting go of the doing for doing's sake. It's actually being in the moment, being present and being able to work with whatever is in front of us. Now mm. oh, I love that. I know that's a way to getting tapping into your work as a coach. What does it take to engage with this practice of being in the moment? Is, would you say meditation is one of the main practices? I'm a lifelong meditator and meditation has always been the basis and the foundation for the work that I've done with my clients. But not everybody resonates with meditation. Some people just don't get it. And I work with some people, business people who maybe don't want to go into that space of meditation. They think they can't do it or they, they're not interested in all of that woo-woo spiritual stuff. So I've started to work using a framework called mental fitness, which is really about like you go to the gym and you exercise your body. They can relate to that. So let's go in and exercise your mind and get it to a state that you're strengthening the part that serves you. And you're silencing the part that sabotages you. And they go, oh, I can, I can do that because, of course, that's going to affect my performance. It's going to affect all these other aspects of my life. So I can do that. Um, but it, it essentially, the, the basis is very much about silencing the overthinking mind, stopping the rumination and the narrative circuitry and being present. And you do that by using your body as a vehicle. So very short bursts of what they call them reps like you would have in the gym. So focusing on your senses or focusing on your breath. And by getting into your body, you're actually switching off your narrative mind, which is the basis of all meditation. I mean, mindfulness is really about being present in the moment without the stories, right? So this is allowing them to use all the wisdom of mindfulness and meditation, but in snackable ways that they could apply in the moment. So me personally, uh, my being is an extension of, you know, um, my lifelong meditation practice and my goals of just letting go of my need to constantly having to perform and having to do and having to not being able to sit still, being able to sit still and being able to be happy in the moment. That's where joy is. That's where calmness is. That's where we are able to sort of start peeling back the onions and do the work on ourselves because we're able to see our reactions. We're able to sort of notice the narrative. We're able to step back. And so, yeah, that, that you get from a space of being as well as doing. You need both. Yes, right. Um, yeah, it goes back to the duality part of life. How did you become interested in meditation? Wow. Um, this was when I was 16 years old at school. We were doing religious education as part of our syllabus. And we studied meditation, amongst other things. We did just an hour on meditation, and it was very, very top line. And that night I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. And it was one where you focus on your toe and then your foot and then your leg, and you basically numb your leg, and then you numb your whole body. And I'd been doing it for five minutes, and it came very naturally to me. And I got this really strong image in my head of a sun over the water. And I started sort of analyzing that picture. And then the next minute, I had an out of body experience. 
which was pretty terrifying um, because I did not know what was going on. I, I just got back into my body and went, oh, my God. You know, I've, I've always been interested in, in you know, mysticism and, and the mind and, and all aspects of spirituality. And I did not expect that to happen at all. So by then I was curious if that just took 10 minutes to get to that stage, exploring my mind, you know, I'm hooked. I really want to see, you know, see what there is beyond that. So I started to meditate regularly. And then it was a case of understanding really quickly that there is all the answers we need just by going inwards and asking the questions and listening. So a lot came intuitively. Um, I have to thank that one session, that one religious education class 32 years ago. My God. That's amazing. Yes, and that's what it takes, I would say. One experience that is impactful enough for us to kind of go deeper into these understandings. I call them spiritual understandings. Do you use the same term, Georgina? You actually call it a well-being practice. Do you know, I, spiritual understanding sounds a, a great term. I don't think I have a, a term for it. it. To me, it's just this knowing. It, to me, this is self-trust or self-connection, oneness. Um, I, I don't really have a term for it. Right, yeah. That's actually better <laughs> when we don't have labels, right? We can't really describe. Although it's a lot of fun to have conversations about these things, but a lot of times silence is the... Um, it translates or, or transmits that knowledge in a, in a much more, let's say, genuine way. I have another question here for you. Wellness and well-being, do you actually connect these two concepts or are they different from your work perspective and your personal perspective? That's a really interesting question. And I'd like to ponder and maybe expand on it a bit because I don't think I've ever broken it down. To me, well-being and wellness are hand in hand. They're a different expression of the same thing. When you have inner well-being, it it manifests through outer wellness. When we have injuries or trauma, that impacts our well-being because, of course, you know, our mind-body is all informed by the nervous system. I don't think I can, in my own mind, at least separate them out. But because of that, you can lean into all sorts of interesting healing modalities using wellness to get to your well-being and vice, vice versa. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I usually ask the question about self-love and self-care. Are they the same? You know, which one comes first? And then I get kind of the same answer. <laughs> One's part of the other. And it, it, that makes sense to me. Um, you see, that's the thing with the world of duality, right? Everything's actually trying to get to the same destination. And I would say a place, less place <laughs> destination. But um when it comes to success, what is your idea of success and happiness, really? What is to be happy and successful? What's the goal of doing all these things that we do? You know, the spiritual work, the spiritual practices, intellectual understandings, and then all the physical things and the mental practices that we engage ourselves with, too. What is the goal of all that? What would you say? I can only relate this to me personally, but for me, the goal of all of the practice and everything that I am trying to do for myself and therefore be able to share with others is move from that space of 
fear and separation and disconnect and self-loathing and distrust and being inhibited, right, to that space of self-love, connection, compassion. It's moving from that duality into oneness. And it's, it's interesting because the way that I work with my clients is we map it to the different parts of our brain. From the part of your brain that is all about survival and keeping you safe, it's a different part of our brain in this incarnation. You know, if we look at the form, form self, moving to the part of our brain that is the prefrontal cortex that is all about compassion and wisdom and perspective, meta-awareness. But also when you look on a wider scale, it's about our whole evolution as a society, as a soul, you know, moving uh, from that space of uh, whatever this experience is in this lifetime of disconnect towards um, integrating and learning and moving up that vibrational level. Even though I have a feeling that we're already there guiding ourselves, <laughs> it's just like that that beautiful play. We get to experience it all. Yeah, that's it. Um, I love the way you say that. When it comes to feelings and emotions or actually even behaviors, would that look differently when we arrive there, per se, in this place, less place of oneness? What would that feel like? Would you say inner peace, a sense of joy, aesthetic happiness? So let me answer on the two levels then. As we go through the journey of mental fitness with my clients, for example, and they get to that space of being able to shift to the part of their brain that serves them, their sage brain, the first thing they start to feel is equanimity. So things that would normally have triggered them, they just don't. There's that feeling of I could be at work or I could be on holiday. It doesn't really matter. I'm happy to be right here right now. And I can flow with whatever life has. It's just that feeling of peace. Was it that Zen, that Zen expression that said, before I was enlightened, I'd chop wood and get water. <laughs> now I'm enlightened. I chop wood and get water. As my teacher said, you know, we're not suddenly transported onto Alpha Centauri. We're still very much here, but we're no longer at the mercy of our emotions because we're able to sort of detach our ego from that and our self-talk from that. And then in terms of what does it feel like from a transcendence place, I can't really tell you because I'm still very much on that journey one of the things that I do certainly feel is that there is tremendous release of energy and power whenever I remove an imprint or a samskara or whatever you want to call it, that trauma within the mind body. And when I'm able to do that, it just catalyzes everything in my life. There's like massive expansion and growth and creativity, and that feels wonderful. Um, when I'm meditating, there is peace and calm abiding. That just feels wonderful. Uh, other times there is the frustration of my monkey brain going all over the place. But even that, I, there feels so much more, you know how you have negative self-talk? I have, I've cultivated a really nice, lovely self-talk. It's not all roses and flowers and wonderful, but it, there is this level of calm and equanimity. Not always. I have two teenage daughters and I do still absolutely, you know, lose my rag and it's a much higher and a much faster resilience and return time. And I can always go back in and go, okay, come on, what was really behind that? In what way have I created that? And what do I need to purify that? So there's a lot more self-awareness and reflection, contemplation on the mental activities, right? The physical and the mental. 
to me, that really explains everything. I love the way you say that too. So even with the Zen quote about before and after pretty much being looking the same, but it changed, what changed is the, uh, the outlook, the way we see these things, so the way we respond to them. That is so true. My friend asked a really interesting question the other day, and I'd love to sort of ask it to you as well, Valeria, if I may, and get somebody else's opinion. She said, what happens when you transcend your ego? What happens with your emotions? It's kind of similar, a bit different to what you said. So do we still feel our emotions fully when we transcend our ego? What is the connection between ego and emotions? Ah, that's interesting. I see the what we call the ego really connected to the physical realm, body-mind complex. So the ego belongs to that world. So as long as we are identified with the body-mind, we can get a release from physical pain. We cannot feel peace, actually, while having physical pain or not react or respond when we have emotional kind of triggers. I don't think it's possible. I have them too. I still have the emotional triggers, a lot of traumas from the past. I know it's still in the body. And a lot of times my husband will say something that would bring that up. It's not that I don't respond. I don't react, I guess, because I don't lash. And there's something about, but I think it's something for my personality too. Even it could be the ego personality. When I was a child, I was always very quiet, very calm and very kind to people around me. So I guess kind in the sense of always gentle. So I don't know if that's part of the personality. And sometimes I do, um, I feel that I suppress some of the feelings that they come up. Um, I try not to kind of respond to them so I won't hurt my husband or anyone around me. And, and by doing so, I believe that I am storing that in the body. And if that's stored in the body, that means I could die from something, heart attack or who knows. Um, but I, because I'm not identified with the body, then it would be okay. Even if I lost the body because of it. Because for me, the most important thing is to bring the flavor of pure consciousness to this reality. So it would be okay, kind of have, feel the feelings and see them, watch them and, and, and not react or not respond. And then internalize them. It would be better for me. But that would be the goal, I guess, because I think I would prefer to have my husband, for example, after I die, he would say, oh, she was kind. <laughs> that, that would be more like a, a, a statement that would come from, from the spirit. You know, she was kind. She was loving. It's more spiritual to me, it would sound. But I, it's, of course, I'm not trying to do these things because, oh, I'm spiritual and I have all this knowledge. It's just, it's, it's just how it happens. It's just doing itself. <laughs> yeah, that's my top value too as well, kindness. And um, I really like that answer, that idea of if, if there is no self, you know, what 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 do we, you know, that there is no attachment. Yes, right. You just let the bike just run on its own and do what it does because there's nobody doing anything really. Yeah, the mind has a tendency to attach to everything and then everything we it perceives, it kind of, attach its identity to it and almost becomes it and wants to become it. And that's very dangerous. Uh, as we can see, right, in the reality we live now, we see so many people coming from that, the mental world realm. 
and we see all the violence, you know, the aggression. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, it's not, it's not pretty. <laughs> Let's put that way. So that's a beautiful question. I like that. Um, yeah, I guess the identification, isn't it, um, uh, Georgina? It's whatever we identify with, whatever the attention is focused on. So I guess the more I have the attention focused on awareness and, and consciousness, then the lighter it becomes for the body-mind complex. Uh, let's see. I do have another. Uh, there's a blog post uh, on your website that caught my attention. It's titled Happiness and Gratitude. And then there you say, happiness and gratitude are directly correlated. So there's something about being grateful that feels like a spiritual practice. And I would say this, do you? So I don't know, because I don't know if it's spiritual, that's almost like a label, but it's something that naturally arises once we get present, right? It's, it's like the natural state of being. Once we get present and once we start to notice everything that we have around us, you know, the relationships that we have, you know, the, 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 the sunshine when we, when we have the sunshine, you know, the flowers, all these wonderful things that we normally just don't even notice and we filter out. And when we're able to get present, we can, we can appreciate what we have. Appreciation, I think, is at the core of gratitude and happiness, right? Happiness, we can only ever be happy in the present. And I think a lot of people are constantly trying to work to be happy and they're kind of missing the opportunity. Yes, that's a good point. And especially when it's uh, happiness is dependent on external things. I think that's when it's, to me now, from this perspective now, it's just not wise at all to uh, depend on anything else for happiness because the more I go within the more I kind of touch base with that uh, reality that's here now, that's so beautiful. It's, it's happiness itself, actually. It doesn't depend on anything to be happy because it is already happiness. Yeah, and it doesn't come easily to us. You know, it's something that we have to keep on training our mind to remember. Be here now, be here now. <laughs> yes, right, because that's because the mind, yes, the mind keeps changing, of course, like everything else. It just keeps changing, right? Focus, trying to focus elsewhere. Yes, I love that you bring into your work, that's part of your work, um, meditation. So quieting the mind. Not necessary once you understand your own nature. That's not necessary anymore to try to calm the mind. That would be just another thing that we are just doing that wouldn't make sense to me. But the first stage is for somebody who... It's completely immersed in the world of the mental world, then it is such a beautiful and great tool to see, you know, to just give enough space so they can see. It's not even space, it's really clarity because the mind is just, there, there's so much there that's hard to see. It's almost like trying to get to, you know, to see the bottom of a lake, but then the top of the lake, it's covered with mud. So we can't ever see anything, um, how beautiful it is, the depth of that lake. So it is removing all that mud. And I think meditation is great for that. And there is something else that you do that caught my... Yeah, positive intelligence. Yeah. And you also sent me something that I almost tried to do it. I think the how we self-sabotage the test. 
And I went there and all. But then the questions, I kept saying strongly disagree, strongly disagree <laughs> to too many of them. It was like 25th. It was like 50 something questions. And I just gave up. <laughs> I said, OK, there's too many. I strongly disagree. And the other one's neutral. And then I just gave up. <laughs> but talk to me about that, uh, Georgina. So the positive intelligence program um, is pretty much what I just mentioned earlier about the idea of mental fitness. But basically what they did was they took um, the latest developments in the last 20 years in neuroscience, cognitive behavioral therapy, positive psychology and sports science. And then they did their own research on top of that to understand different ways that we get in our own way. So um, or different ways that we sabotage ourselves. So um, what they did was they used factor analysis, you know, the way that you have all of the colors that you can see uh, condensed down to red, green and blue as the primary colors. So they condensed down all the different saboteurs that we have within us um, into 10 key archetypes. So the first one is the judge. So, of course, I love this because judge, you know, the self-judgment is a, a core um, cause of suffering uh, in, in everything that I've, I've studied and so the judge is the master saboteur, judge of self, judge of others, judge of circumstance, also fear of judgment by others, right? And all that shame that we hold within. And then some of the other saboteurs that I'm sure will sound familiar. So things like the victim, the pleaser, the avoider, the controller, the stickler, also known as the perfectionist. You've got the hyperachiever, the hypervigilant, so the idea of catastrophizing, um, the hyper-rational, I can't trust my feelings. I have to default to the logic of my mind. The restless, these are the narratives that are going on in our head. So, for example, with the hyper-achiever, we were talking about happiness. There's this idea of I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I get that job. I'll be happy when I get that raise. I'll be happy when I get that house. I'll be happy when I get that car. And it just goes on and on. And guess what? We never get that feeling of happiness because we hit that milestone and we have about 30 seconds of self-congratulations before we're looking up the mountain at the rest of the distance that we have to climb rather than appreciating the view or acknowledging how far we're coming So, or how far we've come. So this is really about having to constantly prove ourselves. Our saboteurs speak to us through negative emotions such as frustration, anxiety, fear, regret. It's really the part of our brain that wants to keep us safe, but its agenda is not keep us happy. It's not about long-term success. So you move to that part of your brain, the sage brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is just behind your front um, temple. Um, and that's the space of your mind that allows for conscious awareness. It allows us to take a step back when we're meditating and to notice our programs, you know, the whole uh, emotion, thought, behavior, response. It's the part of our brain that is creative, compassionate, that has perspective. And so positive intelligence is all about training three core muscles. The first one is to notice that when you're having a negative emotion, you're in saboteur mode. So you intercept that. The second one is activating your sage mind and you have superpowers there. You know, they've condensed it down into five key ones again. So empathy, you know, self-compassion, love of self. We were talking about this. Curiosity, the ability to explore without an agenda and really listen in. Innovate, which is the creativity perspective, which is imagine you were your wiser older self looking back on the end of your life. What what advice would you give yourself? And that's great for sort of cutting the wheat from the chaff and getting people to really ground into what's important. And then the last one is, you know, activate the ability to sort of move in clear, focused action. You know, it's almost like uh, shamatha, it's that, that clear presence 
and being able to, to, to take action. So then the third muscle, so you've got the saboteur interceptor, you've got the sage superpowers. And then the third one is being able to switch from saboteur brain to sage brain at will. And you do that by doing the reps. So, I mean, an example of that is if you try now, Valeria, you just take your thumb and your forefinger and ever so gently just rub them together and put your attention just on that feeling and see if you can actually feel the fingertip ridges on your fingertip pads. And so when you do, you're focusing on your body. And when we do that, we go into that calm abiding space, right? Because all of the narrative falls away. We're just focused in the here and now. And so we can use our sight, sound, taste, touch. You know, we can use our breath in the same way, which is, you know, why people who have panic attacks are just being told, take three deep breaths, anchor into your body. And it switches off the the anxiety because our mind goes from the future, what it's worrying about, the fiction it's creating, and it goes straight into what I can feel here in the present. And when you do your sage brain, your prefrontal cortex naturally comes online. And from there, you could say, what's the most productive thing for me to do? What would be the most resourceful thing? You know? Yeah. We focus on a solution rather than dwelling on the problem, right? Because that's what happens a lot. Um, yes, I love the, the name, um, Sage Mind. I like that. That kind of reminds me of uh, the spiritual mind. That's another, I don't know if you heard about that. It's a, it's a term uh, used for when we are aware enough of the pure consciousness, the divine or God that's here, then the spiritual mind comes in. It, that's it's very spontaneous, creative. It's really always here placeless here in the spaceless also now I don't really kind of use the now as much that word because it has to do with time so I try not to I like the timeless more than than anything kind of limited to time because that's what we are essentially that is unlimited infinite so why kind of focus on what's limited sometimes we can't help it right but just kind of focus on the limited and then suffer a bit. It sounds very simple, doesn't it, Georgina? Once you know that you are infinite, unlimited, then, um, I mean, it's really knowing, it is a knowledge, then everything changes because now your focus automatically kind of, it's everywhere at the same time. It's interesting, it's everywhere at the same time, but in a sense of expanded, open, curious, but it's not confused. That's something that's interesting to notice because you'd think that, oh, if you're everywhere at the same time, curious about everything that's happening and then you'd be completely lost with the mind. Confusion would set in, but it's quite the opposite. Yeah. And it's it's really um, remarkable because you're talking about time, and, but time is something that these people understand because they're dealing with time and performance pressure. So this is their embodied self. Uh, you know, feeling these feelings and you need to connect with them. You know, your brain is is overwhelmed. It's in the future. And once they're able to tap into their sage mind or that pure consciousness and start to access their own wisdom and just watching this is such a privilege because they have all of these profound answers that they need just in this moment. You just help them ask the questions and they have everything that they need. And that is just amazing because it blows their mind 
And I think once they start to establish that as the basis of self-trust, this ability of I have everything that I need within me, um, and they start to build on that as a daily practice or a regular practice, um, it's not long until you can start having those more spiritual conversations, even with the most hyper-rational people, because what they're connecting to is ultimate consciousness. They can just download whatever they want. And so it's it's a beautiful segue in. But also, I think just people people love to be able to look at their saboteurs. And if, if you'd have finished the, the questionnaire, it takes two or three minutes. Um, you get emailed your top saboteurs. People can read that and go, that's who I am. Oh, my God, that's who I am. And, of course, we know that's not who you are. That's just, you know, programs. This is your saboteurs. But it's that way to get them interested because their their identity is related to that. So it's almost like I see I see my clients move through two phases. The first one is awareness. You know, they're, they're suffering. Their brain is overloaded. They're in overwhelm. They can't, they don't have any peace or calm. So the very foundation of what I do with them is I create that space for them and that trust that they start going inwards. And then it's almost like once they've got that under the belt, we can move to a higher level. And that higher level is the whole mind-body integration. The idea of duality, the idea of listening to the wisdom of the body, the idea of self-healing, the idea of no self. You know, some people are happy to stop with awareness. I have people who've been coaching with me for years now, and they're happy to dive into the much deeper existential stuff. But it's really whatever is in service of my clients at the moment. Yes. No, I love that. Your purpose or mission here is to guide people from where they are. So it's not trying to bypass any process, right? It's just uh, staying with them. That's truly, truly beautiful and not easy to do. <laughs> when And when you have so much knowledge and you know, <laughs> then um, it has been my case, it's just kind of... Um, I can't help it, but just say, the, start with the, the deepest of truth <laughs> and then, okay, we'll go from there. <laughs> but here it is. You're not who, what you think you are. <laughs> it's interesting because as a coach, you know, we're not allowed to tell people stuff. We, 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 our approach is to ask powerful questions and help them uncover it for themselves. So if I was to do, for example, I run mindfulness for beginners programs and, and that is a training. I can show them, I can teach them. But generally, when it comes to working with people, all I do is I facilitate them to go inwards and meet themselves. And then they have all the answers for themselves. But I don't have to tell them anything. I'm just the, the vehicle to help them. There's this idea of self-realization, <laughs> which we can play on. Yes. Yeah, that's it. It's beautiful, though, I have to say. Um, I guess because, um, well, in my case, I see everyone as a friend, like a best friend. <laughs> and that's what you do. You must want to tell them the good news, you know, like immediately so they don't waste time even. Like, okay, here it is. Here's the secret, the open secret. <laughs> but then I got myself in trouble so many times, you have no idea, by doing that. And then getting people to just kind of look at me with the empty eyes, <laughs> Like, I have no idea what you're talking. And that's when I kind of realized that. But that sounds to me like this is a purpose-related thing, a calling. I don't know what you call it. Some people just, um, yeah, they know, like, you have that talent and, and that's what you abide to and you're great at it. And some other people are completely different. They're just uncompromising with the truth. 
I mean, they're, they're kind, but they are uncompromising. It is my case. So I'm always very uncompromising. Well, there, there's there's the whole idea of truth, though, isn't it? How can you be uncompromising with the truth? Because the truth is subjective. Mm, in, the, in the case of mine, yes. Coming from the minds, because minds are different, yes. But when, when it comes to the essence, the substance of existence is the truth is the truth. It's not really two is one. I mean, that's my, yeah, right. You can say that's your understanding. Well, it's me and millions, thank God, with the, with the spiritual teachings that, I, that I'm a student of. So I guess millions of people now, they're, um, actually, even scientists would agree with that. I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard about uh, the conference called Science and Unduality. Have you heard about this event? No, but I got a book earlier this year that I was fascinated in, which was the um, Dalai Lama talking with all the neuroscientists, how they integrate those two worlds. And I just lapped it up. But I was slightly uh, perplexed to see that the book was 20 or 30 years old because I would love to, to see what's happening in that space now. But it's all connected. It's all the same. Yes, it never changed from science and spirituality. So they kind of come together. And what I love about Vedanta, which I mentioned earlier, there's non-duality teachings that the science of spirituality, they teach us to see, experience that truth, that the essence of everything that exists is one. There's one reality only here, not two realities. So in that's when we are able to experience that, then it's... Um, I mean, clarity just arises and, and with clarity comes peace, that sense of peace, of inner peace, personal peace, and then it expands to everything that we do. I can say that I know something about it, but I also can say I don't know because there's nobody here who knows that. It's just life, it's existence itself really kind of talking, I guess. Yeah. I remember one time I went in and I asked myself, how can we explain how can we explain it all? You know, it was a big question. I can't remember how I phrased it. And uh, the answer came, I'm going to try and put this into really easy terms so you can understand it, because of course this is non-conceptual. Imagine that you are all part of one body. Say you are part of one spine, okay, or part of one organism, one body. It said, you know, your finger isn't going to know what your toe's doing and your hair follicle isn't going to know what your teeth are doing. And, you know, you're all part of the same thing but you don't have to have full awareness or consciousness of everything else. And I really love that because we don't have to know how the hair grows or the teeth grows or, you know, the component parts to know that we are part of something that is affected by, it's, it's, it's symbiotic, connected object. I'm not explaining myself very well, but, uh, but that came through. Yeah, I, I understand. So, Yes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like I don't have to be the finger in order to be this whole human body. I don't have to think that I'm the finger on, on my on my stomach or my heart, the organs. It's just I don't have to think about anything in a separate way or focus on anything separately in order to know that I'm whole. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We identify as the finger or we identify as the toe. Yes, that's true. It, happened, it, it happens a lot. It's kind of funny. We identified very much now with the physical body in terms of health even and beauty and all that fitness and then the mind especially with the mind I think humans are we are just so 
confused when it comes to that truth that we are not our thinking mind. We are not our thoughts. We are not our memories. But most of us think that way, that we are the thoughts in our heads. And that's not even in our heads. <laughs> we don't even know where it's coming from, those thoughts. We just point to the, the brain, right? Because the, there, there is a relationship um, between brain and mind. Scientists show that, but the only things that they can show really is just the connections, the neuron connections. I think it, it lights up parts of the brain when we are meditating, when we are thinking, stressed, whatever it is. But it does, to me, it's just, um, that doesn't really say anything. Consciousness is everywhere, one. And it's if everything's under consciousness, then it would make sense that the body, mind, brain, all that would be connected. I mean, there's nothing that's disconnected. They've found studies as, as well that shows that the mind impacts the physiology of the brain. So if you imagine that the mind is like the software and the brain is the hardware, the software that you put in can actually create changes in the physical structure of, of your brain. But one of the interesting things when I read that book with the Dalai Lama is it said, he said straight up, I don't know how we can pursue this because we don't have any shared vocabulary. You talk about the brain, we talk about the mind, and you have no definition for the mind. And they've got, you know, however many million states of consciousness. And it was like two, two entirely different languages that they were speaking. What I love about scientists and spiritual teachers and spiritual seekers is that we are all looking for the truth. So that's one thing I know. Scientists are very much trying to know what the truth is. And, and so spiritual seekers and spiritual teachers kind of sharing the truth. That's the beauty about these communities, spiritual and the science and spirituality. And then this conference is really fascinating. Uh, it's science and spirituality. I listen to them a lot, the talks there. I think it's hosted in Italy, but then they also have in California. So I have two places in the world. So, okay, we're getting into a different conversation. Yeah, I guess. I'm writing that <laughs> down just, so I can look that oh up. Oh my God. <laughs> so we're almost at the end of this conversation for today. And, oh, yes, I do have another, I have a few questions, the ending questions for you. But before that, uh, Georgina, talk to me for a moment about mental fitness. I know this is a topic that you mentioned in a beautiful way. You said, oh, here are some topics dear to my heart. And then you included uh, mental fitness. And we briefly exchanged some emails about that. So what is, what's the concept of mental fitness? Is that everything else that we are Everything that we already actually have discussed or there's something else that you left unsaid? Yeah, it, it is actually um, mental fitness is the three core muscles by positive intelligence. So it's like imagine we train our body, but this is our mind. And the idea of mental fitness, actually what it is, is our ability to respond to whatever life throws at us with a positive instead of a negative mindset. So there is no stress. Yes, it sounds like resilience, the idea, the concept of resilience, isn't it? Is that similar? It's beyond resilience. Resilience is an output. Uh, resilience is a side effect. This is the structural, it's, it's the understanding of how to optimize your brain. So when you're feeling triggered or when you're feeling a negative feeling, an anxious moment, you know, it's in that moment you go, okay, I'm being sabotaged. What's the narrative here? And you just stop. And then from there, you use your body is the vehicle to switch off your mind. So three deep breaths, rub your fingers together. You know, what can I hear in the far distance? And then from there, 
there's this belief that, you know, anything can be turned into a gift or an opportunity. So you generate that, you create that by then asking what would be the more empowered response? What would be the sort of most constructive thing I can do right now? So mental fitness is the ability to respond in the moment in a proactive, productive, constructive way, rather than just getting reactive. Um, And it's really good because, you know, I'm, I'm, I could start my morning with an hour's meditation. I could be really zen, but come five o'clock, my zen battery is all the way down low and my daughter's being really confrontational and I'm like, ah. So this this is a, a really good way of going in the moment. It'll take two seconds of your time. It's like applied mindfulness, but with structure. And the program itself, the mental fitness program, it's like a boot camp. It's a seven-week program that you go through with positive intelligence. And there's certified coaches like me all around the world. I mean, this is like a massive program. They've been working with CEOs and top athletes. And, you know, it's um, a Stanford initiative originally. And it just helps people to sort of overcome their self-sabotage in the moment and step into that powerful presence. And it, you know, there's, there's, there's um, mental fitness for individuals, there's mental fitness for teams. If it's something that you're interested in, just go to positiveintelligence.com and have a look and do, do the free saboteur test. It's absolutely fascinating. And uh, Valeria, I understood you, you were answering, maybe you were so Zen that you don't have any saboteurs. I don't know, but for, for us, you know, um, people still on the journey, I would highly recommend it. Utterly fascinating. Yes, yes. And I love that about your work. It's working with people where they are, right? And we need, boy, we need that. <laughs> um, it's, um, to me, having these conversations and being as open as possible and just going as deep as I can, that's where I get my human joy from. But this is not really the reality for most of us. And I, I do understand. I, I think I interviewed somebody yesterday who said, that the brain uh, is programmed, almost biologically programmed to be negative, or they call negative bias, you, you know. That's why kind of um, all my practices or everything that I do, it's kind of moving away from the physical and more kind of coming from the, the non-physical to the physical, always non-physical in a sense of um, awareness itself. Okay, the mind is just kind of uh, whatever it's in the mind right now. Instead of coming up with a mental medicine for it, I kind of bring the spiritual medicine. It's okay. <laughs> it's just the mind doing what it does. So the body doing what it does, let it be. <laughs> and I just have this big smile and I let it go pretty quick. So, but that's a spiritual practice, isn't it? It's like very much. Well, I, I love this whole mental fitness approach with positive intelligence because it gives me license. We don't call it spiritual. Anyone, you could go into any business and what you're doing is you're showing them the power of their pure consciousness. They get it. From there, they can start to build awareness. And from there, you can start to, to do the deeper transformational stuff. But for example, I, I work with so, so many people who believe that their body, as you were saying, their body is a vehicle to transport their heads. You know, they're all in their brain. They're full of self-doubt. And so this is a really good way to help them still their mind in a quick and easy, effective way. These are CEOs that don't have time to sit and meditate and all the rest of it. By the end of it, they do. You know, they are sold. 
And so this is a foundation to help people get to a space of realization that there is so much more to them, where they would normally be so busy firefighting what's on the outside and and feeling all these deep self-judgment on the inside that there is another way, that they have so much compassion, so that they have so much wisdom inside. And if they tap into that and they come from that space as a leader, as a parent, as a, you know, all of these roles that they play, what's that going to do for their lives? You know, they start to see benefits in their relationships, in their performance, in their well-being, and they, they're they hooked. They're like, okay, I, yeah, I can see what you're talking about. And from there, you have license to start, you know, with these people who are so hyper-rational and so disconnected, this is the bridge that I can use to help get them to a space we can do the much deeper work. Yes, yeah. And it, uh, I really admire you for that and all my other guests, <laughs> the the coaches that I talk to. The, it's just so beautiful to see that. Um, it's uh, I don't know if you heard about before, but there's a quote that says, all path leads us to God. So it's just being open, right, to we, we need all the help we can get anyway. <laughs> so I love all these different um, tools and paths that we have to get to the same place, to the same understanding, um, same understanding, perhaps not in this lifetime, but that's what I see. Everything is just going toward that. It might take uh, several lifetimes, we actually a lot more than that, so some say. I wanted to thank you again for having this. It's beautiful being open to all paths, even though I can hear in your voice the things you write and say that um, pretty much you are already there with that knowledge yourself. You know that the, the, the truth of oneness is one reality, not two. But this, I love how you open to use different paths to get, you know, humans to get to this understanding. So it's truly beautiful. Thank you, Georgina, for being you. Thank you. And Valeria, one, one last point that I want to share is it's amazing. The more people, and we do these programs in groups, and people always seem to come to the same realization, the same truths, the same perspectives, even when they come from, you know, very disconnected with their mind body. And that's amazing. And when they hear other people resonate. Yeah. 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 And that's, uh, it, it, that's that essence, right? That amazing essence that never left us, right? That presence, it's always here. So I want to ask you a few more questions, the ending questions. But before that, I want to mention your services. On your website, you have you offer one-on-one coaching, group coaching, positive intelligence course, and then you have also talks and workshops. So a question for you, do you offer these services mostly online or offline? Mostly online. I lived in Singapore for 18 years and I moved back two years ago. So I was able to keep all of my clients. And now I just work with people all over the world. You know, quite a few in the UK now, Europe, Australia, Mexico. So mainly online. That's wonderful. That's the the beauty of the Internet, right? We can talk from anywhere in the world. So uh, the ending questions, I guess I'll ask you this one. I have a technical one at the very end, but I'll ask you this one before we end what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Three experiences, did you say? Yeah. Yes. Three experiences. Yes. Mm. Okay. So um, self-connection, a sin, that pure consciousness, that's one. Open-hearted, loving, and peace. Peace and acceptance. Oh, that's the big one. That's one I'm working on. 
Yes. Ah, right. Acceptance. That's a big one. Uh, the letting go, right? Georgina, that, that step of letting things be the way they are. Um, yes, I love that you said pure consciousness, number one. <laughs> that, that to me was like one in three, three in one thing. Uh, but thank you for mentioning the other ones too. I love your wisdom. I love how open you are to lessen the suffering in this reality. Thank you so much for being you again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, that's my sacred space. I love doing this, Georgina. <laughs> so before we say goodbye, where is the best place to find more information about you and what you do? So you just look me up, georginahallaby.com, and I'm there at the bottom of my page, my website page. It's got all of my YouTube channels and LinkedIn and other ways that you can contact me. And um, if anybody is interested in, you know, having a, a chat with me or even trying out coaching, I offer this for free. And I invite you to come in sage to sage for, a, you know, a transformational coaching conversation. Um, then, then I welcome your call. You can um, book that through my website. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Georgina. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. My pleasure. Nice meeting you all. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Georgina Hollaby and her work, please visit GeorginaHollaby.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.